Hello, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. Except that now we aren't Literary Work in Progress anymore. We are changing to a shiny new name. We're going to be Lit Service. Yeah. We felt like puns were such an integral part to our, <laughs> our podcast that the name just needed to be one, too. It is practically our brand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone who helped choose our new image that represents the podcast logo logo, logo. Thank, logo. Thank, you. thank you we do words <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay so we just have some announcements because we kind of experimented last year we were just trying to figure out what we wanted to do and where our audience was and so now we're getting a little bit more serious about stuff so we're changing the way we do things a little bit so our, our new plan is to only post twice a month so i know sad less of us to listen to however it means that the quality is going to go up um it also means that one of those weeks per month we're going to have a guest like um an editor an agent a fellow author and the other week it'll just be us your friendly neighborhood lit service team (laughs) we'll announce who the guest is two weeks before we record which will give you about a week to submit and then a week for them to review it so you might be able to be with your favorite author we get them on the show. That got awkward real fast. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> which which means there's there's kind of like two two more new, awesomely more important reasons that we, we want to be paying attention because since we're announcing our authors ahead of time, if there is a or author's guest, agent, whatever, if there is a specific person that you'd like really like to have look at your stuff, you're going to know in advance who we're going to have, and you can say when you submit who you want to have look at it, and that will put you in the running for them. And then on, so then on the top of the thing, so we got like our, our shiny squeaky new forums. And like one of the things you can do on that forum is if there is a specific person that you'd like to see on our podcast, you can go there and post and petition and stuff and we can see about getting them. Cause Caitlin is like freaky awesome about getting people. Down <laughs> around, so. We'll see how far that extends. <laughs> if you guys start asking for like Jody Reamer, I don't know what I can do for you. <laughs> So some other things that we're changing is we are actually going to start using social media to talk to you guys. One of the things that we really want to create with this podcast is also to become like a community because something that I realized after I had already gotten a book deal and was getting ready for my book to come out is I was in this group of debut authors where we all kind of commiserated with each other. We're all in the same boat and we could just talk to each other about the good things and the bad things. And it was a really great support group. But I don't feel like there are a whole lot of places out there for querying authors. And when I was querying, I was living like in the middle of Montana with no one around me. Literally, there were no neighbors pretty much. And there were also no other authors to talk to. And it was really lonely. And so something that, I mean, especially because querying is really difficult, like emotionally, because people are rejecting you all the time. And if there's no one to talk to, it kind of sucks. So... We'd like to set up both the forum and our social media in a way that allows you to both meet other querying authors, but also to maybe find critique partners or potential writing group members and just create a safe place for you to find other people who are in the same boat as you are. With the additional awesome point that since you're like listening to us, ostensibly you agree with like our writing group philosophy thing. (laughs) So you can like connect with other people who are trying to do it kind of the way we've been showing how to be awesome so that you can like also be awesome. Yeah. When you're still at the stage where you're querying and you haven't gotten to work with editors and agents and stuff before, it's a lot harder to know where the lines are. And so if you do follow our rules, it helps a whole lot, especially at like that, those beginning stages of writing. So the place that we can find all this is if you go to our website and go on forums, 
Right now, working title is Lit Nation, which I think is hilarious. Hashtag Lit Nation. Yeah. So you can go check out the forums there. They're pretty cool. What is the actual web address? The web address is litservice, L-I-T-S-E-R-V-I-C-E dot wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash lit nation. You can find both our submission instructions. You can find out more about us and you can also go talk to other authors on the forum. The website again is litservice.wixsite.com slash litnation. Some other things you can look out for is if you follow us on Instagram, we're going to start talking about the books that we um, highlight in our podcast, things that we feel like they do well. And we hope that you'll do the same thing where if we talk about something in our podcast, you can bring up a book that you think does the same thing or something that you feel like does not do the thing. We try not to diss other writers, please. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so let's try and keep things positive. (laughs) It's just a really good way to learn from each other as a community. And so I'm looking forward to it. I like bookstagram. So, Mm -hmm. And then we'll also have some, the, the weeks after our podcast, we'll probably focus on the subject that we talked about. So we'll have like in our upcoming podcast in two weeks, we're going to talk about villains and antagonists. And so the two weeks after that, we are going to be posting about our favorite villains and antagonists will post a um, an actual Instagram challenge, and you can post about it too. And through Instagram and through those forums, you'll be able to connect with other people who feel the same way about villains and how awful they are. Would now be a good time to mention who we're going to talk about villains with? I feel like we need a drum roll first. Okay. <laughs> I don't know Got how it's going to stand. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest for this next podcast is Sarah McCabe from Yay. Simon & Schuster. That's a big five, folks. Just in case you didn't know. She works at the Pulse Imprint. She is awesome. And she is going to be critiquing one of your submissions this in two weeks. So if you'd like Sarah McCabe to critique your submission, you can submit to our email address. It's litservicepodcast at gmail.com. If that's your first 10 pages in the body of the email, please do not add any attachments. And please do not go over 10 pages or put it in a wonky font because we will automatically not read it, I promise. Please remember to check us out on Twitter at Lich Service or on Facebook and Instagram as at Lit Service Podcast. Like we mentioned, we'll have lots of fun ways to interact. So if you just keep an eye on what we do there and respond to us, that would be great. Give us some attention. <laughs> please. <laughs> So today we aren't recording a podcast critique. We have one that came from a couple of weeks ago, and it was actually before we realized that you can't have like a computer right next to your microphone. <laughs> so there, it, there's a little bit of uh, feedback. Feedback a couple of times. We're really sorry. It will never happen again. But it is a really, really awesome thing about middle grade versus YA and how the two differ. Our guest is Summer Spence. She's a local author. She writes YA and is awesome. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a star rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others to find the show. Others to find the show. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Hello and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin, and I'm most definitely a Ravenclaw. I'm Kristen, and I have been Gryffindor my entire life, and then I had to take the Pottermore test again last week for work, and now I'm Slytherin. I'm Cameron, and I am also Slytherin, and I'm laughing. I'm Dan, and I am Earth Kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) This week we have special guest Summer Spence, local actor and young adult author. Tell us about yourself, Summer. 
I am also a lifelong Gryffindor who was resorted into Slytherin. (laughs) I am a Slytherdor. I am still holding on to my courageous and true, but also ambitious nature. I'm glad that we can relate this this way. This This is is nice. We're the people who are growing and changing along our character arcs. Yeah, and and we're not afraid to seek after what we want. That's right. So I'm down with that. Yes. (laughs) Now you make me think of all the other combinations, like Raven... Griffin Puffs. Griffin Puffs. I'm Griffin for Griffin Puffs. I don't know. That might be like disastrous. <laughs> yes. So I am currently working on a what I hope will be a middle grade novel, but you're writing a young adult novel. So I am, yes. I I do things that are much too naughty to be in middle grade. <laughs> <laughs> so Or even to be in my eighth <laughs> I have to edit a lot. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today is what are those differences? What sort of things can you get away with in young adult and what things are more geared for middle grade? Not necessarily limited to naughtiness, but right. in general, yeah. <laughs> this is not a naughty podcast today. Uh-oh, they didn't know when they invited me. <laughs> okay, so middle grade is typically geared for kids who are eight or nine to about like 12-ish. The main characters are usually in that age range. And young adult tends to be older, usually focused on 14 through 17 as the main character. Readers are obviously going to be younger than that. People tend to read up. Yeah, that's true. You have that hard space, too, where it's like that kind of 12 to 14-year-old void. Oh, so little, yeah. Where, yeah, you just, it's really hard to get in into that little, you know, space. And it's hard, especially in publishing, because they really want to be able to put it in either or. Mm-hmm. So if you are writing and you're figuring out where to age your character... 14 is the death age. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It is. I think there are lots of really famous tween books. It's just hard. Like Ella Enchanted, I would say, is tween. And like Howl's Moving Castle. I I love Howl's Moving Castle. And I mean, there are books that do it, but it's just adding an extra level of difficulty to... So maybe maybe what we're saying is that actual quality of the book has nothing to do with the age of the character, but ease of selling is a different story. Yeah. Or at least just ease of getting into the publishing industry. I think that there are lots of books that have sold very well. Never mind. One thing I just want to clarify, because it's something like my mom and people who aren't in publishing often say when I'm talking about like middle grade or young adult, they'll call it middle school and just assume that middle grade and middle school equate, and they do not. They are not mm-hmm. the same thing, and they're not the same ages. So. Also, there's lots of crossover. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of adults read middle grade or definitely read YA. I have a and... friend whose son is in middle grade or is in a middle school. Like he's reading Game of Thrones, so oh, you know, like, go. Kids, oh, kids read all That's kinds true. of different things, right? And I have eight-year-old girls who are, you know, I just brought Wonder Woman Warbringer home, and they want to read that. Mm-hmm. So you're right; they, you know, kids do have very different reading levels, mm-hmm. and so equating their age. The reader's age is not necessarily a good indication of what the actual book's placement is. It's probably more about intensity and, like, rating, even. Mm-hmm. It's like reading a book R versus reading a PG-13. Or <laughs> That's actually else. a really good segue into, because obviously age is not the main difference between, I mean, or not the only difference between middle grade and young adult. So what would you guys say is the difference between these two markets? British author Terry Pratchett one of my favorite people in the world, says that children at heart love violence. Um, (laughs) It's true. When I was eight and playing with Legos, I figured out that the katana could fit through the middle of the Lego person, but not the regular sword. So you could impale people with a katana, but not with the sword. 
So your children, if you have children, may have that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, I'd like um, to say that was not summer. <laughs> it was just covering up for herself. It was totally summer and was not Christian, obviously. <laughs> But no, just, just the level of action or the level of violence or just things like that are different between when you're a 12-year-old or when you're a 16-year-old or even when you're an adult. I think the level at which you take it seriously is mm-hmm. different. As a, a young kid, impaling your Legos is fun because it's a toy. But as, <laughs> and not that I did that, but, <laughs> but as an older person, you understand more what it means to be in pain or to be in a fight. And you have more real-world like pressures on you and understanding of what's going on. So as middle grade is to young adults where you have people who understand a little bit better. So the stakes are a little bit higher mm-hmm. adults, the same way to middle or to young adults where you have like game of Thrones versus like the hunger games, it's a whole different level of intensity. So, so would you say that generally one of the difference between middle grade and, 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 and older literature, that's a horrible way to say it, but, but the, a lot of the same things happen, but the emotional impacts tend to be softer in middle grade. The emotional impact is not the point. I would phrase it as consequences maybe because, so I read a middle grade novel recently called Mischief Makers, I think was the name of it. And the, one of the kids, the main character starts off the book by accidentally killing his substitute teacher. And his consequence <laughs> is that he gets taken to a school for troublemakers where he's like the star people because, wow, he made as much trouble as possible. <laughs> and I feel like if that was a young adult novel, he'd have to be dealing with some legitimate consequences like prison, probably. And so it, I think it's a level of, I guess, not necessarily reality thrown in there, but a level of adult understanding that maybe is not there in younger books. I feel like middle grade has a healthy dose of humor and like Mm -hmm. whimsy in it where there is a whole lot more room for you to tell jokes and to make light of really difficult things that are happening so they don't seem as intense. Like you can have like scary witches and and like life and death situations, but people make like fart jokes in the middle of it. The Inquisitor's Tale by Adam Horowitz, perfect example of that. It's an amazing book and like a bunch of questions, but there's like a a whole chapter about fart jokes and it's really funny, but... You can't really get away with that. Or if you look at a book like Holly Black's Doll Bones, mm-hmm. where these kids think this doll is haunted, and, you know, they go on this whole adventure, and they end up, like, in a different city, and they've stolen a boat, and, like, you know, all of these things kind of snowball and happen at that, which, if they were older, the consequences of those actions would be, you know, very dramatic. But since they're younger, it's like, wow, can you believe those kids did that? And But also their, their understanding of the consequences. They 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 have that understanding of like well maybe this isn't right but you know cool yeah <laughs> let's, let's do this so it's not like those long range consequences they don't it's not typically you know understood like oh now I'm screwing up my entire life yeah so were you the one who think who was thinking of it in terms of Harry Potter and our I discussion? was but I've been talking a lot okay so. well I mean I will pick up that torch because I think it was really well said just that Harry Potter is one of those series that started off as a middle grade and as time progressed the characters age it turned into an adult and so like in book one as opposed to like book six kind of the basic things same things happen but they're handled in different ways so book one there's relatively little blood or violence there, there's magic but you don't really see a bunch of gore Harry fights Voldemort who's a really scary guy and is trying to kill him 
and that's the same in both book six and in book one. And the difference really is, is that, like, at the end of book one, like, Dumbledore comes in and explains what's wrong. He has an adult around to kind of rely on to tell him what's going on. But at the end of book six, spoiler, Dumbledore gets killed brutally in front of Harry. Well, Harry can't do anything about it, and he's left all alone to save the world and carry that burden himself. Well, in, like, in the middle of the intense fights, Harry has to, like, step in for Dumbledore. Dumbledore is, like, incapacitated, and he has to be the one who, like, picks him up and gets him out of there. So instead of the adult stepping in and saying, I will help you understand what's going on, he has to step in and say, I'm going to save your life instead. Um, Book one, Quirrell dies off screen. Mm -hmm. And no one really talks about, oh, a teacher just got killed. Whereas They focus more on his funny-smelling turban than anything else. Whereas book six, I mean, it really is... The Harry Potter series is a good example of the transition between middle grade and, and to young adult. Book four is really the turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, My but... little sister refused to read four and up until she was <laughs> older because they were too That's scary. so funny. Aww. There was the very vivid image of, you see, you're right, in book one, you've got Quirrell who dies off screen. By the time you get to book four, you've got blood sacrifices and people being resurrected by black magic and people dying en masse and you know well, Cedric Diggory book, dies right, right in front there of him. yeah and then you move in you know and you move into well you know you notice the book four is also the place where they, they introduce a literal torture curse mm-hmm. torture is not something that shows up a lot in middle grade i don't think <laughs> so the beyonders does that count as i don't know queen <laughs> sorry I keep no, going. I'm my head. are there any kids movies with with torture and other anyway well, so not uh, topic for a different oh, wait, day you're right, so though. as an additional point i'm not sure if this is necessarily a good thing although as i'm thinking about it, i think harry potter did it well is that when you're looking <laughs> at there's a degree of adults are useless prevalent from middle grade through ya but the closer and farther into ya you get generally the less useless adults are so i'm thinking about so in the first book it's kind of hand wave that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are the only people who have figured out what's going on and they're going to save the day versus by the time you get to book seven, there are lots of legitimate in-world reasons why they are the only people who can do this. And I think that has something to do with in middle grade versus YA where the protagonists are really understanding their place in the world better. You know, it comes from the middle grade where things are very much centered around this insular experience that the character has in their youth and in young adult that expands to to really include more of an outside world and their understanding of where they belong in it and also um, if they want to change it so one thing that we do in the second part is review a submission that someone has sent in to us on their story so this story is called the blind dragon it's talking about is it a school Mm-hmm. of a magic school a magic school and we have two characters alarak and uh matori matori and they are rivals and they have an exam coming up that they are wanting to do well on which helps determine if they can get a, a better position outside of the school and when we review a piece we start by talking about things we like for about two minutes and then we move on to things that deserve a second look so we aren't being prescriptive. We aren't telling someone how to write a story. I think she did a really good job of balancing um, world building, backstory, and blocking, and character introductions. Like, I never felt overloaded, really, by, like, info dumps, or I didn't feel like there was lots of explaining going on, and I didn't feel like she got too far into her characters thinking that I forgot where she was. It was all really well balanced. I agree with that, too. I felt like it, it flowed really well, um, and you could tell that it had been edited 
and the writing was very clean. There wasn't an excess of anything, like you said. Like, it didn't suddenly, like, you know, describe the wood grain on the desk that the character <laughs> traced their finger over and lost chance of time. It was very, you know, the thing, the details that we got were precise and just enough to give us that view and then move us forward. It was all intentional. Right. I agree. I think this author did a really good job of using details to serve a double purpose. So rather than just having details that were like, this is a character building detail and this is a world building detail, she managed to pick things, or he, I'm not sure who wrote this, but they managed to pick things that would do both at the same time in a short amount of space. It's kind of a small thing, but in the scene, so rather than having uh, Alaric throw a paper airplane to annoy the nerd, he throws an air dart. And the fact that he can throw an air dart in class and the effect that it has on the other student, that he can, that he does it, the consequences that ensue, tell us a whole lot about what's going on with the world that we would have missed if it had just been an airplane. That's true. And similarly, details in... Uh, Alaric has a segment, a point of view segment, and Matori has a point of view segment. And the way things are described and happen in Alaric's segment made me have a lot of sympathy for Matori by the time it was his turn. Mm -hmm. And there were two protagonists that I was immediately starting to dislike one and starting to favor one over the other. Um, So one thing that I normally really dislike in writing is I hate when authors will clearly be trying to info dump a lot on the readers but disguise it as like a teacher quizzing a student or something like that. I, I hate that, but I think this writer did a really good job of that exact trope, which I normally despise. So, that's a, I mean, it just goes to show that tropes can be done well and serve purposes. Um, and I think it, the trope was somewhat subverted because the character was kind of, you know, throwing this information back at the teacher. And so we got to have a little, you know, character building moment there where we understood that this character maybe thinks that he is in a position or has the status where he can do that. And also, I mean, it was a great showcase of his voice for me because I could hear him saying it exactly and I wanted to smack him. It's not just an info dump. Because of the way the info dump happens, we learn about the characters in the scene. So now that we've talked about things we like, we can move on to things that might need a second look. So I felt like the conflict between the two main characters was a little bit overstated. We're told about it in the first scene and shown it in the first scene and then we're told about it and shown it again a couple more times just within these first 10 pages. I agree with that Um, and I kind of noticed that both of the scenes seem to accomplish the same goal just in different perspectives. Um, So if you are writing in two different point of views you want to make sure that each of those point of views has a goal in the scene and that we're moving forward in the story because by the end of both scenes we were kind of at the same place where we started where both of these boys want to be matched against each other and to beat each other so they both did the same thing so think about you know why is this scene here in the other point of view and is it necessary to move the story forward that's a really good point and i think that's something that can be taken care of during revision and Mm -hmm. editing So, like, if you don't catch it all the first time, but it will save a lot of time if, when we're writing, we try and assign a reason to the scenes that we do. Mm -hmm. I want to second what you said, Summer, which is, when I got to Matori's part, I thought, oh, that's why we were reading Alaric's. But so much of Alaric's point of view wasn't super crucial. I was thinking, why didn't we, weren't we just with Matori the the whole time? Why weren't we him getting hit in the back by an air Mm -hmm. dart or things like that? Not to tell the author what to do. I'm just thinking, I think the purpose was to be able to sympathize with Matori. 
personally, I'm not super sympathetic with either character, but I'm more sympathetic to Matori than Alaric. So to me, it it's it's unfortunate that it starts with Alaric because I have I get into the, and the more I read about him, the more I dislike him. It's yeah. a little bit of there's <laughs> a little bright spot at the end where we find out that his father is screwing with his potential for advancement, and that's just his not father's cool. totally the villain. <laughs> I did not trust him. Probably and his name is Cole, which I think is like a really hot name. So I, don't know, I was like, he's okay. hot. He's evil. He's, he's killed Matori's dad. I, I see where this is going. Just kidding. I have no idea if that's how it is. But but the point being that we get to the end of that scene, and there's like he has like one redeeming point, which is unfortunately something that happened to him, not something he chose. Mm-hmm. So we get that one redeeming point. But we're left going through that whole section with, I don't want to root for this guy. He's kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. And also the way, since it's in his point of view, the way that he viewed his female classmates. And That's the way not he helpful. And with his female classmates really soured me on him because the, the girls in the scene were not actually fleshed out characters or people. They were just there to really bat their eyes at him and giggle. Frisa is not present during Alaric and Matori's talking to each other to like the very very end and mm-hmm. well, I feel she like spoke, she wasn't like even anyway. present then yeah she was just like a, a cardboard prop right. yeah. it was like showing a trope yeah. pretty much, I, rather I, than, than being a real person I think it's a problem that happens a lot with secondary and tertiary characters mm-hmm. is that tertiary. Yeah, words here. thank you, thank you. <laughs> I think that the problem that we run into is you want to show your main character interacting with other people, but a lot of times the people are there just to show something about the main character, and that's when you run into a problem because it reads false every time. So something that I like to do for every character that's on the page, no matter how major or minor, is to, to really understand their goal in the scene because everybody wants something all the time. Like right now I'm doing this podcast, but I'm thinking about my Coke, which is just outside the <laughs> And I'm really happy to be here, but I'm also thinking about the Coke. So there's, everybody is complex and everybody has, you know, something that um, they're thinking about and obstacles in every scene. And so it's something that's fun is, you know, those obstacles can come into conflict with your main character and that can create a more dynamic scene and also give the, um, the second and third characters, um, you know, the, the ability to feel more real and fleshed out because we understand that they want things too. Um, and since we were talking about middle grade and YA, this is an appropriate time to point out that we were not entirely sure what, um, market this was supposed to fit within. Um, just because some of the, I guess the consequences for like using violent magic were not the way that I thought maybe they would be. Um, a teacher stepped in and said, you get to sit by me now. Which seems Instead very... of, you just assaulted another student. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the characters were a little bit... It's only like 10 pages, so it's hard to say that they were more caricature than like real people, but they definitely fit within certain... It's a very like, established... You've, yeah. got, you've got the nerd who's jealous of the naturally successful guy and, and the, the naturally naturally successful, successful guy, guy who just sees the nerd as a target. And who's like super arrogant because right. he's from a nice family. And mm-hmm. the satellite love interest, the girl who's just there to show that one of them has a girlfriend. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, um, for me, the reason I, I was on the border between middle grade and YA was um, as I was reading, I, I didn't really understand the two point-of-view characters um, end goals really or like what they were really striving towards like towards the the problem of the world that the book would present it was very immediate and um that that's something that feels very middle grade to me is that the problems all are a lot closer to home um and so then when the submission started talking about you know going off to protect the king or like getting this job after school 
um, not an after-school job, but after, <laughs> after finishing school, being selected for a job, um, I thought, oh, okay, so they're they're working towards something outside of this, and yet the two characters um, were so focused on their rivalry and their, um, you know, and their own success in school that it felt younger to me because it wasn't, you know, their their thoughts were not with the outside world. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? As I was reading, I got, I wasn't really sure what the point of the competition was. Mm -hmm. I understood that they were going to be pitted Mm. against one another, but I didn't know anything other than that maybe it had some kind of influence on that job. The Alaric, I believe his name is, he mentions that he's taken the test a couple of times before, but he's still at the school. And so I wasn't sure if... Like Rick had already passed the test. What the test was for? Is he like a super senior. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the closest I could get, my mind went to like like some like Star Wars expanded universe stuff I've read, yes. where like oh, the Padawans yeah. have to be chosen by the Jedi Knight, otherwise right. they get kicked out of the temple. Oh, but uh, hashtag this guy. the toast. Hashtag but he's still here. Yeah. Like, is it, exactly. Still here exactly. Of his dad? But that's the question, though, is because we don't know. It's like why? Why does it have to? In other words, we're left to speculate because because the reason why he's in this predicament is really important to his motivations, so there's mm-hmm. too much we have to speculate about. Well, especially since the dad, which we're assuming has a lot to do with why his son is still there. Abel! <laughs> like, he comes Sexy in old. and talks <laughs> and talks to Matori afterward, and so we have this personal conflict that's mm-hmm. going to be coming up, except we're not really sure what it is, because we don't know why why Alaric is still at the school. That's true. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have a really clear set as to what the test is and why it's set up the way that it is and what the consequence will be if he passes it. And I think that's something that's that's hard, especially with fantasy, is when you're trying to incorporate just enough world building so that it makes sense but still leaves some questions open because you do want to have the reader to have questions oh, yeah. that keep them turning the pages, but you don't want them to be not grounded in the world and not really understanding why things are important or why they matter. Well, it's, it's, it, the fact that Alaric is still here because he's in, been in, in effect held back creates a weird wrinkle to the character relationships because with that in mind, does it make sense for Mattery to see him as a rival? Would you, would you, if you were in high school, would you, and someone's getting better grades than you, but they've been here for three years now? <laughs> is that some, it, in other words, so we're missing a, why do, why do we care? Why do we care? Or why is he still here? And, yeah. and why is it okay that he's still here? Are there other people that are still there? Right. Is that girl who's just a cardboard prop also competing for this title? <laughs> Whatever it is. Right. So, so I think the basic idea is that we got a lot of good world building details in this submission. But I think we're missing the really important one for helping us to understand what the stakes are and how these character dynamics work. Overall, I really liked the submission. I thought it was a really great start to a book. I think that as we get into these character voices, maybe I'll like them a little bit better. That's but... true. I mean, always more time. <laughs> I liked the establishment of the world, though, and I thought it was an interesting thing to read. I, I thought it was interesting, too, and I think something that might help with getting us more towards... Not necessarily... Because characters don't always have to be likable. I am yeah. not a likable person, but here I am. <laughs> and um, I we think... like you somewhere. <laughs> well, you have to. We're in a very small room. <laughs> What, what keeps me with a character is understanding why they desperately want something and why it's so important to them. And right now in the submission, all we really have is that they want this job. And the reasons are kind of generic. It, it feels more like a status thing. But when you give someone a really personal reason 
to go after a goal, you can identify with that because you're like, oh, well, that's why they want it. And so even if they want it for bad reasons, at least you can understand why. And so that makes them more sympathetic. Mm -hmm. For further discussion on these topics, if you want to listen to something about character motivation, listen to our podcast with Mikhail George. And if you want to listen to something <laughs> about making a character likable, okay, then listen to the one on <laughs> This is your typical plug from Kristen. Okay, just talking about the cardboard prop girlfriend, I just have this mental build. You have a cardboard prop girlfriend? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my friend's Definitely. mom has a uh, Robert... Robert Pattinson uh, cardboard cut out of him. No, just mental image of Alaric holding this cardboard <laughs> girlfriend as he walks down the hallway. We want to thank Summer, who actually is very likable, <laughs> for coming out to the show. For literary work in progress, thank you for listening.